everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Um, I wanted to do sort of a short or medium-length episode today. I'm not really sure exactly how long it's going to turn out, with a couple of tips about saturation. So I get a lot of questions about saturation, what plugins I use. One of my most popular YouTube videos is a video I did called Mixing for Loudness. And I think a lot of people are really intrigued by saturation and all the things that it can do. So I wanted to just give you a couple of quick tips, three big things that I always get questions about and things that I think are misunderstood about saturation. The first thing is that harmonic richness and brightness are not the same thing. We're going to talk about all these. Number two is that saturation has very different effects depending on where it is placed in the chain, okay? We're going to talk about that as well. And number three is that saturation can be very, very subtle. It does not have to be distortion. So let's unpack these things and we'll talk about sort of what they all mean. Okay, so to explain this first one, I have to tell a story about acoustic guitar. So when I bought a Gibson J50 a couple years back, I really wanted to find the right set of strings that matched this guitar. I struggled a lot for, geez, probably a couple of months going through dozens of different strings to find what really fit well on this guitar, what felt right, but also what sounded good. And I was recording all of them, I was making notes, And I got to this set of strings called the Monel wound strings, the retro strings from Martin. And these strings kind of sound a little bit dead right out of the box. They're almost like nickel wound, but they're different than, you know, a phosphor bronze or something. And initially my gut response was like, oh man, these sound kind of dead out of the box. But when I recorded them, they sounded great. And I was confused because forever I was of the opinion the opinion that I like more new-ish strings on acoustic guitar. You know, in most situations, right? Not always. Sometimes you want the plunkier sound. But I kind of defaulted to that. But one thing that dawned on me is maybe it's not all about that. And, you know... People ask me all the time, what opinions of yours have changed over the course of Recording Lounge You know, in the last 10 years? This is one of them. So what happened was I ended up putting a brand new set of strings on a guitar that I really liked. I, uh, they were the Labella strings, which I thought sounded great. And I recorded in a track with that acoustic guitar. And it sounded great, especially in solo. But in the track, it just seemed to be strange. I can't even describe it. It it just either was too loud or too quiet. I couldn't get it to fit in the mix. Then I recorded again with these Monel strings, which I said was um, a little bit kind of dead right out of the package. And then especially after like an hour of playing, they almost sounded like, you know, worn in. But I recorded on the track and it fit in the mix perfectly. And it was, you know, still relatively new strings, but they were definitely deader. And I kept, I mean, it kept me up at night thinking, why? Why did that fit in the track better? And one thing that really kind of finally hit me was that even though the strings were new-ish, they weren't nearly as harmonically rich as the phosphor bronze strings. And so it's almost like they were taking up too much space with the phosphor bronze strings. And 
nothing I did to them seemed to work. And even if I made it brighter or darker, it took up too much space. Now, the Monell strings, which were deader, it's almost as though the harmonic content was reduced, almost like the opposite of saturation. And it fit into the mix better because it wasn't taking up as much room and it was more sort of focused and pointed, if that makes sense. And it just blended in the mix perfectly. And so what this led me to eventually was this realization that harmonic content and brightness are not the same thing. Now, I talked about this on an article that I did with Sweetwater. I talked about this on a couple other things. Uh, you know, I've talked about it a little bit here and there on the podcast, but I just want to reiterate how important this is to understand. If you have something that has a lot of frequencies, right, like and it has a lot of richness, whether it's from brand new strings or like brand new drum head or even something that is saturated that has a lot of harmonic content. That is different than something that has a higher balance of the frequencies in the high regions to the low regions. So brightness or darkness is usually or perhaps more accurately about the balance of how much high frequencies compared to the rest of the spectrum. But harmonic content or harmonic richness is a measure of how many frequencies are present up in that area. So just keep in mind that if you have an acoustic guitar with tons of harmonic richness, it to the ear is almost like it sounding distorted in a way because distortion is ultimately just harmonic saturation, saturating the signal with harmonics. So that fueled a lot of other ideas in my mind about electric guitars and why when you start saturating an electric guitar too much, the amp has too much distortion. It makes sense, right? There's no clarity left. It doesn't have punch because it just turns into this brick of distortion. Now, again, we love distortion. There's nothing I, you know, this whole episode is about saturation. I've done tons of uh, you know, talks about it and YouTube videos about saturation. I love it. I use it all the time. But it's important to think about if everything in a mix is saturated, if everything in a mix is harmonically rich, if everything in a mix has all these harmonics, it may get to a point when the mix itself essentially sounds like distortion because you're saturating the listener essentially with harmonic content. And you might listen to things in solo and you and you think, ah, no, that's not, you know, that's not too rich or too distorted or whatever. But altogether, it ends up sounding just like this mush of frequencies. Now, there are arguments to be made that, you know, there's some really pretty distorted mixes out there that are still quite pleasing. And that could be because they're really harmonically rich in certain areas, maybe the mid-range or the lows, but the highs are cleaner. Or maybe they're harmonically dense throughout, but the highs have been reduced. Again, my key point here is just to recognize that how much harmonic content and how much brightness are not necessarily the same thing. So what I found was 
I could get away with more EQ on that acoustic guitar that had less harmonic content with the deader strings. I could EQ more top end without it sounding harsh versus the brand new strings. As I turned up that EQ, again, I'm now turning up like a shelf, for example. I'm now turning up way more frequencies than I was with the deader strings. And so that kind of started to shift my perception of sounds, and it made me really focus on getting sounds that were clear and direct and not too rich across the spectrum from the beginning, meaning I wanted to be able to control that amount of richness with saturation and with distortion and things like that and be able to EQ things brighter or darker and not feel like I'm just overwhelming the microphone with information. And I know that seems like a weird philosophy to take. And again, I always have to say it depends. There are very, very many times when I want a super harmonically rich sound from an acoustic or a piano or whatever it may be. It's not everything. But I I have come to really value uh, strong fundamentals and very focused tones that aren't too rich. There's something about it, having really clear, direct fundamentals. You know, when you hit, for example, a low E on your guitar, I want to see that 82 hertz is strong on that signal. I don't want to see that I hit 82 hertz and there's a thousand harmonics above it. It's too, it's too much. I don't want it to sound like I'm plucking a piano string. I want a strong 82. Now, obviously, it depends on the sound, and I'm not just going to go for dead strings on every guitar I have now, but I have learned the value in it. That's the point. I have learned the value in why that can be great and how that takes up less harmonic space than sounds that are super rich. And you can use that to your advantage. It's one more thing you can use in your palette. If you, for example, want to have a guitar sound that's really focused and sticks out in the mix and really is like rich and uh, and informative to the listener, you might want to go with something that has newer strings, something that has uh, a little bit more character, a little more distortion, a little more richness, a little bit more mid-range, a little bit more high-end. Think of it almost like a vocal, like a vocal's very rich with harmonics all across from the low fundamentals all the way to the highs. But take, for example, a bass. If you look at a frequency analyzer on like a synth bass, It has this beautiful representation of harmonics that go from the lows to the highs, but that low fundamental, like if you hit a low A, that 55 hertz is strong. And above that, you have this beautiful sort of series where you hear these upper harmonics, but that fundamental is nice and strong. And this is going to tie into the next point, but like I said, you can use this to your advantage. Things that you need to sort of blend in a little more and not stick out and, and, and to really not overwhelm the listener with information, you can use things that are less harmonically rich, things with deader strings or deader drum heads or uh, less distortion on a sound, less harmonic richness on a sound. But when you want things to stand out and feel in your face and aggressive, that those extra harmonics can help. Now, in addition, you also have to consider the brightness. We know that our ears are sensitive to high mids and highs. So if you have a sound that has more highs, it will stick out generally more than a sound with 
less highs and high mids. So you can balance those two things and use them as tools. How much harmonic content versus the brightness? Maybe you do a sound that's really rich with harmonics, but it's dark. Or maybe you do a sound that's a little more focused and has less harmonic richness, but that's really bright. Those are different sounds, okay? Try it for yourself. Record an acoustic guitar with brand new strings and then record the same thing with really dead strings and just play around with those two files and hear how different they sound when you EQ them, when you compress them, when you saturate them, when you send them to reverbs, all of the above. They each have their place. For me, for example, specifically with acoustic guitar, I love the sound of acoustic guitar with new strings when people are finger picking because the fingers tend to deaden the sound anyway and the extra brightness and harmonic content is balanced with the sort of dullness of a finger and a thumb. But if a player plays with a pick or with their fingernails, that's adding that extra harmonic content on the string and I don't necessarily need it by having brand new strings. So sometimes having slightly deader strings is helpful. If you want to check out some of the strings that I recommend for acoustic guitar for recording, I've had really good luck with a couple of kinds. So one is the Martin Retro Monel Wound strings. Another is the Diodario Flat Tops, which are sort of like almost half flat wound strings and I've also had pretty good luck with the silk and steel strings from Labella. Those are all great strings. Now in general I really like the Labella strings when I want a brand new set. Um, there's been a couple of sets I really enjoyed but that was one that stood out to me as you know when I do want a brand new set of strings uh, at least on my Gibsons, those labellas sounded fantastic. And they actually had quite a long life um, compared to a lot of the others that I tested. So those three are things I would recommend. I've had really good luck with them over the last year or two. And after doing that test, even though it was expensive and took me a long time, I really learned a lot about harmonics and, and, and harmonic content and the balance of brightness versus harmonics and how those two, they, there's an interplay there, but they're not the same thing. So that's part one. Now we'll keep, we'll keep pushing this one step further. Okay, so the next part of this is where do we put saturation in the chain? Some would argue we need to put it really early. Some would argue we need to put it really late. Some would argue a little bit of both. What gives here? So just keep in mind that saturation, when you add saturation, whether it's from tubes or transformers or from preamps or from compressors or wherever you, you're adding it, uh, harmonics are always above the fundamental. So when you, when you feed in a sound into saturation device, Essentially, that device is multiplying those tones that are coming in, those frequencies, and adding them above, okay? So this is another reason why I've come to really cherish clear, strong fundamentals on sounds. Because if you send a high-passed sound into a distortion device, you're going to get harmonics above the loudest harmonics you're sending it. So if the bulk of your sound, say, is hitting at three, four, five hundred hertz, you're going to get harmonics at more like 600, 800, 1000 hertz. That might be where you want it. That's where the bulk of your harmonics are going to be. 
But if you send a bass into a saturation device, for example, and that bass has strong fundamentals, you hit a low A and you get 55 hertz, your harmonics are going to be in the 110 hertz range because it's all your fundamental is X and then it's 1X for your fundamental. Then harmonics, the harmonic series would be 2X, 3X, 4X, 5X, 6X etc. So if you send it 55 hertz, you're going to get 110, then you're going to get 165, and so on. So think about the sort of harmonic representation that you're sending into your saturation devices. This is one reason why I kind of advise not to use super steep high-pass filtering when you're recording. And a lot of people advise this, but some people have said, well, why not? I mean, I'm not going to use it, right? There are situations, of course, where you're not going to use it. Like on a vocal, I high-pass vocals at 50, 60 hertz all the time. There's nothing down there. There's no notes being produced down there, right? But for example, on a kick drum probably don't want to high pass that at all necessarily because you want to get as clear and strong of a fundamental as you can so to help you later down the line another story how this relates to music and in instruments i had a debate with an audio engineer friend of mine is it better to record a sound that is thinner that will fit in the mix better or is it better to record a full range sound and high pass it and we debated this for a while, and one of the examples that we kept coming back to was electric guitar. A lot of times we end up high-passing electric guitar at you know, 100 hertz or 200 hertz, depending on how you know, small of a footprint it needs to have in the mix. And so we were debating, like, well, is it better to record like little tiny guitar amps that have you know, six-inch, eight-inch speaker and not much low-end because they, quote, fit in the mix better? Or is it better to record bigger amps that have a nice full low end and then to EQ it later because they kind of are competing philosophies. Like if you've been a fan of the podcast for a while, then you know I'm a big fan of recording things kind of as I want them and I try to commit to things early on and get it right at the source as early as I can, right? But this is a hard question. This is a hard debate because you can sit there for hours and hours and hours and say, well, there are pros and cons to both. But I have kind of come to the conclusion over the years that most of the time I would prefer to have it there and then take it out later, partly because of this saturation phenomenon. Because if I have a guitar sound that is, you know, really high-passed, essentially naturally, by recording a little tiny speaker or whatever, then all of that mid-range content is going to be the dominating factor. But if I then run that into saturation plugins or something, if I ever needed to, or if I was running to tape or tape saturation plugins, or if I was running my mic preamps hot, that could end up sounding more harsh than I originally intended because that is more focused in the mids and then those harmonics get represented one multiple up as high mids. Now, that might be fine, and, and in most situations, it is fine, but if I wanted to get a sound that had more richness and warmth, it, I couldn't. It would be gone, and gone forever, 
Whereas if I had recorded with a normal, you know, 212 cabinet or whatever, especially if it's closed back cabinet, I'd have a nice clear fundamental. And if I wanted to EQ it on the way in, I can. But the fact that the frequencies are there, they're just turned down. Again, this relates to like what I was talking about before with harmonic density, how much harmonic content is there versus the EQ of it is just how loud those frequencies are or not. So I have come to really value having strong fundamentals, even if while recording, I will EQ them down with a shelf because they're still there. They're still represented. They're just turned down versus if I record with a little tiny guitar amp, those frequencies are gone. They're not there at all. They're, they're so low in volume that they might as well be high-passed completely from before I even select the mic, you know? That's one of the reasons I've struggled a lot with open-back cabinets, for rhythm specifically. I love the sound of open-back cabinets. I use open-back cabinets. But when it comes to rhythm, especially like distorted rhythm, they just lack that clear low end. Again... A 212 closed cabinet or a 412 cabinet, a lot of times that's too much low end. I get it. It is. It's, it can be really tubby. But I would rather have those frequencies there and represented and then remove them than not be there at all. Because if they're not there, what can I do? It, it will affect the whole chain. And I have found better luck in terms of saturating my mic preamps from this practice, from, from getting sounds that are a little bit more clear and direct down in the low frequency area, focusing on getting strong, clear, punchy fundamentals on my sounds. And I've had better luck with it because those harmonics end up being more represented in the low mids and I'm going to turn down the low mids a lot anyway in a modern mix because I'm going to need to clear space for the vocal, right? That's a common thing that we all have to do is, you know, pull out some low mids on things to make room for the vocal. And I just find it gives me more flexibility in the mix. It allows me to saturate in any region that I want. Because, for example, we have plugins like FabFilter Saturn that allow us to uh, saturate multiband. You don't have to saturate in the lows. You can saturate just the highs. And certain types of saturation plugins will distort the high frequencies first because essentially it's like the threshold is different for the different frequency regions. And so I just have more flexibility, I feel like, whereas recording little small amps or, for example, recording bass guitar through a, a guitar amp, kind of like Beatles style, I just have a hard time because bringing back those low frequencies if I need them it's just not easy. So I'd rather have them there than not. So just realize that saturation, wherever it is in the chain, is highly affected by the frequency content that's going into it. If you send a saturation device a sound that's really bassy, then those harmonics are going to be one multiple up from those bassy notes, meaning they will mostly be in the low mids. And maybe that's fine, maybe it's not. But if you send something that's really mid-range heavy, like 5, 6, 700, 800 hertz, those harmonics are going to be a lot more present in the 1, 2, 3k hertz region. And if you send something that has a lot of 5k, like a really bright vocal, those harmonics are going to be even higher than that in like the 10, 20, 50, you know, 10, 15, 20k region. 
So just realize that what you send into a device will multiply and that's what that saturation will do. So you may just keep that in mind as you're choosing sounds and choosing saturation devices and figuring out where the harmonics need to be, what they need to be uh, focused on, and, and where you want that energy and that additional harmonic content to really live. If you don't believe me on this or you want to test this for yourself, you can pull up a test tone generator with a one kilohertz sine wave, bring up an EQ like FabFilter Pro Q3, and then bring up a saturation plugin in between. And as you raise that saturation, you will see the harmonics form. And if you lower that frequency, the harmonics will form above that in a similar pattern, the harmonic series. It just depends on where those fundamentals are coming from. So realize that if you have a guitar sound or a vocal or a bass or whatever, those instruments or those sound sources have thousands of frequencies within them. And therefore, whatever the strongest regions that you send it will then dictate the strongest amount of harmonics that come back. Okay, so if you have a really scooped sound, right, like tons of lows, tons of highs, you'll get more harmonics in your mids and your high highs, right? It fills up those sort of areas that are missing. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people consider saturation to be the missing link, if you will, <laughs> because it fills up a lot of areas in the sound and helps something sound fuller and louder and be heard more, especially on smaller speakers. You know, you can hear a kick drum on a small speaker because you've created these frequencies, essentially, uh, that represent it in different frequency regions than are there naturally. And keep in mind, if you are going to high-pass something, should you high-pass before you saturate? Or should you high-pass after you saturate? A lot of times, I just have to hear it both ways. Because, again, neither is right or wrong. But in certain situations, if you're planning on removing low-end from something, it actually would be better for you to remove that low-end and then saturate versus saturate and then remove the low-end. It really does depend on the sound you're going for. And that's the reason why, is that the stuff that you send into it will be represented, you know, multiplied, essentially. And you have to be very careful of that balance. And and don't write off a certain saturation plugin right away because you say, oh, I don't really like the way that it saturates or how the harmonic content is generated, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it works better on certain sound sources than others. That's very, very possible. There are some saturation plugins I like for certain things and some I like for others for good reason because they all will saturate and add harmonics slightly differently. The balances will be slightly different. And also, again, like if, if you're using a saturation plugin like Decapitator, it's got a wet dry knob. So that's like the level of the harmonics, but then how much you saturate is how much harmonic content is added, right? Again, different things, very different things. So maybe what you want is more saturation to essentially give you more frequency representation, but then turn it down to make it more subtle. That's a different sound as well. So just keep this in mind when you're using saturation plugins. I, I know I'm getting really deep in the weeds here, but I, I want you to know, it, you know, you, you will eventually go by your gut and you'll hear it and you'll know. You'll say, ah, it's not really what I'm looking for. I, I hear what I hear in my head. 
but you have to develop what it sounds like in your head first. And to do that, you have to experiment. You have to try things. You have to take some of these suggestions I've had and hear the difference of a high-passed sound into saturation versus a full-range sound into saturation and putting the high-pass after. Same type deal with, with high frequencies. Something that is really focused, like the, like the acoustic guitar with dead strings. Try that into saturation versus something really rich, acoustic guitar with brand new strings into saturation. It's a different sound, okay? So hopefully uh, that will give you some, some things to experiment with and, and give you some ideas on saturation. Okay, one last thing to note about saturation. A lot of people are afraid that saturation is going to be just like distortion or like, you know, it's going to sound like overdrive or, or crispiness or whatever. One of the hardest parts for saturation plugins that I find is they have a very sensitive sweet spot. And some of them are incredibly, incredibly sensitive to the point where you turn the knob just... 10% more and it sounds like distortion. And that's really frustrating for me. That's one of the reasons that I, when I'm working with saturation plugins, I try to find those that feel like they have a natural progression and feel like they go from, you know, very subtle to really aggressive. There are so many out there that are great. I love the UBK1 saturator. I love Waves Kramer tape. To me, it doesn't really sound like tape, but it sounds awesome. I, I use it. I love the Waves J37. I love the Harmonix plugin from SoftTube. I love Decapitator. I love FabFilter Saturn. Really enjoy the UAD like uh, Culture Vulture as well as all their tape plugins, the Studer and the Ampex. There, there's really a lot of great ones out there. I mean, even the, uh, I love the saturation on the Axis EQ from SliFi. Uh, there, there's so many out there worth trying. I haven't found a ton of good luck with Waves overall, if I'm just being honest. I do like their tape ones, but a lot of their analog modeled, like Sheps and things like that, those seem to clip really, really hard, uh, almost, you know, like, like hard clip limiting almost, whereas a real Neve doesn't necessarily do that quite that aggressively. In terms of Neves, I really do like the UAD one. It is incredible how, how good it sounds. So just try them. They're all slightly different. Preamps and things like that. I really am enjoying that soft tube one a lot lately, the soft tube harmonics. And I, and I, oh, and I like the soft tube tape as well. That's a, that's a cool plug-in too. They all do different things and they all have different places. If you want something that's super subtle, right? If you're worried about something sounding like distortion, the Fielding DSP Reviver is essentially just a second and third harmonic generator. And you can run them in series, which will add like a little bit of fourth and fifth and sixth, but it's an incredibly subtle harmonic saturation device. And that's why it's not even really called a saturator because it's so subtle at what it does. Essentially, it's like the infant stages of a saturation plugin, just adding some more harmonic content to the point where people have complained that it sounds like it's doing nothing. It's that subtle. Just know that saturation can be so incredibly subtle and depending on what your goal is with it, you have to manage your expectations. If your goal is for it to sound crispy and kind of like electric in the highs and high mids, 
you need to choose certain saturation plugins that will allow you to do that really effectively. I find that tape plugins tend to do that really well, as well as like FabFilter Saturn. Also, the soft tube saturation knob is cool because you can like distort the highs and full range and lows. You know, it's got that little switch that you can kind of focus the saturation to that area. But if you're looking for something to add warmth, you need to probably focus on something more like Decapitator or perhaps some of the tape plugins, not all of them. You know, it, it really does depend. The SoftTube Harmonics plugin is great for that as well because they have different types and a lot of them are, some of them are more brittle sounding and some of them are more fat and full sounding. And I believe that's just in the way that they are looking for the input signal and how they're going to saturate. Because again, if they pull in and are focusing more on those low fundamentals, your harmonics will more uh, be more present in the low mids versus if they're looking at those mid-range frequencies, your harmonics are going to be more present in the high mids. So just know that saturation does not have to be distortion. You can add it in very small amounts. And to me, that's usually the best way, just to the point when it's smoothing out and, and filling out a sound as well as taming some of those harsh peaks that can come through, which is a huge benefit of saturation. If you want to see more about this, go check out my video on mixing for loudness as well as listen to my podcast episodes about mixing for loudness. But in the video, I show a great example of how subtle it can be. Uh, I believe I did use an acoustic guitar on that as well, where you know, you can barely hear anything happening, but the waveform that I show, you can clearly see those spiky peaks get controlled basically invisibly. And part of that is due to the limitations of our hearing. We can't really hear uh, saturation happening that quickly. Our ears just simply aren't fast enough. And it's kind of like playing on like the brick wall limiter you know, strength of what it does is it can limit things so quickly that we can't really hear it. And, and we don't necessarily hear it as distortion, but we hear it as not there anymore. It just, you know, it just passes us by in one ear and out the other. So I know this ended up to be a little bit longer than I expected, but I uh, just thought I would give you some quick tips about saturation, some things that I've been, have been on my mind and wanted to talk about in some episodes, but didn't really know what context to fit them in and whatnot. So hopefully these are some interesting saturation tips for you. Thanks for listening. As always, send me your questions at recordingloungepodcastgmail.com. Check out the website for the information on blog, the newsletter, how to support us on Patreon or PayPal, all of the above. Thanks for taking a listen. I'll talk to you next time.